Go not to the elves for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. J.R.R. Tolkien You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots, I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee S's. Our monster of the day. These can really be true monsters. It's the Fae. Those tricky buggers. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking not only fairies, but elves, pixies, sometimes gnomes are considered fae. There are a lot of creatures that are vaguely humanoid with a little bit of a magical twist and often have a very druidic nature in their style of magic. So we are calling them as a supercategory fae. With the fae usually comes an almost human appearance. They have the same general shape. They're a humanoid. But there's something different. There's something magical, mystical about them. A lot of times they're the people who wield the plant type magic. So if you go into a fae kind of realm, they have their own homelands in a way. And they have interesting light. They are associated with interesting kinds of lighting styles and plant-based architecture. Bridges that are made out of vines and life in the trees and that kind of thing. Most of our monsters are going to be either animalistic or way above humans or a dumb version of humans. The fae tend to be almost equivalent, if not for their longevity. And therefore, they're able to be a little wiser in a lot of respects. But the definition and the traditions of what Fae are have changed and developed so much over the years. So in the 16th century, you had a philosopher, alchemist, toxicologist named Paracelsus who classified elves and gnomes as spirits of the air. And that's definitely not what we picture today when we think of elves and gnomes. I think, like our opener quote kind of implied, Tolkien has redefined what elves are for us. Until Tolkien, almost everybody thought of elves as being anywhere between child size to the size of your fist. Tinkerbell size. Yeah. But now we picture elves as tall, elegant, graceful, walking beings because Tolkien redefined the word. And I think a lot of the references that I hear to elves in my personal life end up coming through Dungeons and Dragons. They have a very Tolkien style of elf, although I do believe in the version I play, they're slightly shorter than humans. It depends on the kind of elf. Going back to EverQuest, which was the first like digital version of D&D, this is where I got my definitions of elves. <laughs> you had the high elves, which were very Tolkien-esque, tall, elegant elves. You had wood elves that were the shorter, more druidic-based elves. And then night elves, which are in D&D drow. And if you wanted to listen to another episode talking about the character of elves, we did kind of mention this style in our Shoulder Angels episode, which was back in February, where we talked about the id, ego, super ego 
a lot of this super ego stuff gets applied to elves. And that's why I am including Vulcans in the elf, mostly in just modern mythology. They're space elves. They play basically the same role in the story. You go back in history, and elves are more like Santa's elves. Small creatures there to help, or Harry Potter's house elves, where they're helpers, they're servants in some kind of way. But elves aren't the only fae out there. Probably my favorite are the Tinkerbell pixie type elves in the movie Willow. They were called brownies. The little guys that just kind of make mischief, they'll move stuff around and they'll maybe cast little bits of magic here and there and they can disappear and reappear. They apparently have a huge hankering for cream. They like get drunk off of fresh cream. So you have your fairies, pixies, brownies. These are very Celtic in origin. There's a lot of those associations where you can throw out a handful of salt and they have to count every single bit of salt that fell. That's how you catch a pixie, if you're curious. Yeah. (laughs) And if you want more research on that, there's a fantastic Supernatural episode. It's great. Fight the fairies. (laughs) So you also have things like gnomes. Our definition of gnomes in the nerd world are different than the definition of gnomes in a lot of the normal world, because you have gnomes as in like World of Warcraft, D&D gnomes, and then you have garden gnomes. They're very different. But gnomes tend to be even smaller than normally a childlike house elf, and that's, I think, size is a big difference between gnomes and dwarves. But they enjoy the non-living parts of the earth, mostly gems and that kind of thing. In a lot of like D&D type culture, they are associated with the tinkerers. They're the steampunk characters that are creating the mechanical what's-its that might just explode. One of my fondest images of elves and the fae in general actually comes from Shakespeare. If you've ever seen A Midsummer Night's Dream, basically they get lost in the woods and this fairy queen comes and takes them on this adventure that they go on. And it's all very mystical and magical and everyone portrays it slightly different, which is one of my favorite things about Shakespeare. You'll never see the same Shakespeare twice. You also have a lot of fae represented in Arthurian traditions. Prince Arthur and the fairy queen If you've seen the recent Netflix show Cursed, it's a different representation of the fae and magical beings with King Arthur before he was King Arthur. And I think Witcher had some references to elves in a way that is not commonly seen nowadays. They weren't the tall, elegant, must-be-respected kind of characters. So that was an interesting look at those characters. Most of the ones we've been talking about are usually benign, sometimes tricksters, sometimes out just to have a little bit of fun. But then you have some that are just straight up evil. The red cap is basically an evil version of the gnome. They can be tamed, but mostly just by evil people into becoming something between an ally and a pet. One of the ones you may think of first would be the changelings. This was seen in the show and book series Outlander, 
the idea that these beings will switch out a infant child with a changeling child and they'll kill the human child and force the humans to raise the changeling child so that they don't have to do it. And in order to deal with the changeling, if it happens soon enough, they might be willing to like trade the child back if you manage to figure out that it's not your kid before they kill your actual kid. You also have Will-o'-the-Wisps, and these are represented very differently in a lot of different media. So you have Brave, where the Will-o'-the-Wisps are treated more like light beings that are just leading her toward her destiny. But in a lot of classic traditions, if you followed the Will-o'-the-Wisp, you would die. They often hung out around bogs and swamps. So if you followed this light, you would end up stuck in this bog and you would die there. Historical basis for this. What actually was happening were gases from the swamp or bog lighting on fire. And it would just kind of flash and people would follow it and fall into the swamp. Like, that's what actually was happening. (laughs) One of the biggest questions with the Fae is how do you deal with them? We mentioned earlier throwing salt on the ground will stall them, so they have to stand there and count every single one. A lot of the classic interpretations make Fae really vulnerable to iron, like it'll burn their skin if they touch it. But mostly, I think the best way to deal with them is to just don't deal with them. Avoid them and never make a deal with a fairy. Absolutely. That's where a bit of the trickster magic comes in, which is very indicative of the fairies and the pixies. So if you are interested in writing fairies, writing the fae into your story, remember that you aren't limited to what you've seen before. These traditions have changed and developed and become something completely new over the centuries. Pull from whatever part of it you want. That's what makes this fun. I think Fae will end up being a fantastic addition to a fantasy-type world. They're one of those monsters that are incredibly social. They have that whole culture to themselves that they're doing their own thing. So it's easy to put a drop in. Your readers get an idea of, oh, the world is enormous, but they have enough of an idea to just sort of set that concept aside. But of course, writing elves are also a lot of fun. And that's what it comes down to, really, is having fun with it and writing selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>